Welcome to another episode of The Impolite Psychologist. So I have probably talked about politics here and there entering into the world of psychology, but I did want to take an episode to talk about the ways that politics really do affect psychology in some super annoying ways. So psychologists by nature are socially liberal people. We all have to have an open mind about what people are going through and where they're coming from. And I think we all sort of fit into that category because it's necessary for what we do for a living. The thing that I have found super annoying about the organizations that are psychological organizations that I belong to is that assumption has gotten taken way too far. Meaning that a lot of times our psychological organizations will stand up and make a stance on things. And I think if it's a stance on a psychological issue that we're all sort of dealing with in therapy and it makes sense to take a stand, then absolutely our organization should take a stand. But what I've seen happen over time is that that's gotten really loose. And the assumptions about us all being on the same page is kind of out of control meaning that a lot of times the organizations will decide what candidate we're all interested in winning the election or decide what issue is the issue that we find the most important and that we all stand the same way on that issue. And like I said, that would make sense if these were all psychologically minded candidates and these were psychologically minded issues. But a lot of times they're not, and it really pisses me off, quite honestly, that there's an assumption that that I feel the same way as the organization does, and they represent me to the public. So that's one way that I don't like psychology and politics intersecting. There's another thing that I find annoying, and that is sort of what's happened over time with issues in the public realm. So one of the things I see happening is that our society has gotten into the habit of basically not calling a spade a spade. And to give an example of this, recently the organization Weight Watchers decided that they were going to no longer refer to themselves as Weight Watchers, but WW. And this is some sort of move in order to take the stigma away from what they're actually doing, which is getting people to watch their weight. And so I don't know how moving into using initials stops this stigma because everybody knows what the initials stand for and everybody knows what they're doing as an organization, which is 
getting groups of people to talk about their relationship with food and try to control their relationship with food so that they are no longer overweight. I don't understand why there's a stigma attached to people wanting to be more weight conscious. It's not the same thing as trying to force people to have eating disorders. This is a totally different thing. It's based on the idea that people are taking action that means that they are managing their weight in a healthy way. And so I'm not sure why changing the name of the company to WW is really going to make a difference. But here we are in this world where we pretend things aren't happening when they're happening. And so, you know, something similar that has happened is somebody along the way decided that we should no longer be using the term alcoholic, that now we have to say it is a person with alcohol use disorder. Okay, alcohol use disorder is a diagnosis in the DSM. I don't know how it's different. It's somebody who has a problem using alcohol to their own detriment. But the thing about it is that alcoholic is a term used by people who they themselves have a problem with alcohol and alcoholics anonymous is a huge organization that helps people to get sober and stay off of alcohol and i just don't know if anyone has asked them how they feel about changing the name to alcohol use disorder because i think there's something that works for people in recovery about saying yeah i'm an alcoholic this is a problem i have this is who i have been and i have to do something about it so that i am no longer an alcoholic i think it works for their brand and it works for what they're trying to do and once you start muddying the waters with alcohol use disorder or any other i'm guessing the way things are going to go even that will be stigmatized at some point in time and we'll have to call it somebody with an a use disorder instead of calling it what it is i don't know i think this is a slippery slope into you know, the world of fantasy and make-believe. I know a, a lot of colleagues who have this issue with any sort of diagnosis in the DSM that they don't want to label people. They don't want to stigmatize people. People should not be known for their diagnosis. They should be known as people first. And whatever, that's all well and good. But it has been my experience that people are not in the dark about what they suffer from. They're not confused about the symptoms they have. They know that they have symptoms of a disorder. And particularly, it was my experience coming up that People who had some of the more severe diagnoses, such as schizophrenia or borderline personality disorder, 
they felt a sense of relief when they knew that they had something. When somebody said, hey, you know, the reason that you're experiencing auditory hallucinations is because you have schizophrenia. That was a relief for a lot of the people that I knew because they had something that made sense and fit into categories other than I'm just effing crazy and nobody understands me. It gave them a sense of I've got something that has a name and I can get treated for this thing that has a name and there are specific well-researched treatments for this thing I have. Now I know what to do instead of just feeling like I'm crazy. And so we have to be careful when we start sliding down the slippery slope about renaming things or pretending things aren't there that are there or not labeling people because it gets weird. And a colleague of mine brought this up the other day too because I was sort of arguing with somebody else who didn't want to say that her client's mom has narcissism. And my colleague said, imagine if you had cancer and nobody wanted to tell you that you had cancer, but they told you you had to go through chemotherapy and that radiation was part of the treatment but they didn't call it cancer. They just told you, you now have to go and get radiation and chemotherapy. Imagine what that would be like for someone to do, to say, okay, well, I trust my doctor that I have to go through these ridiculously difficult treatment protocols, but I don't know what, what I have exactly or why I'm going through all of this difficult treatment exactly. I mean, does that really make any sense at all? But it's this thing, this world of politically correct that is causing more confusion and chaos than anything else. And I just think it's kind of BS. And I think the people who are making the decisions about this are not people who are in the trenches. It's the armchair psychologists of the world or the do-gooders, the people who are donating money, not the people who are in the trenches actually doing the work that are making these decisions. Now, there's sort of a, an interesting other topic related to this. Where I live, in the state that I live in, for a while there was a lot of talk about prescription privileges for psychologists. Now, where there are medical doctors and they are psychiatrists and those are the people who you see when you want medication for your symptoms and a psychologist is just an overly educated person with a phd who does therapy and testing so what happens is that especially in rural areas where they don't have a lot of help uh, they don't have uh, doctors or even many therapists in an area. There has been talk about, okay, you know, maybe we kind of help the people along who are in the area. And so what came out of this was the idea that somebody who has a PhD 
could take classes for another couple of years and get the ability to prescribe medication. And so this was a hot button issue and there was much debate about this for a while. And I was like, hey, yeah, sure, at the time. what Whatever makes sense, like, yeah, why not? I can pay for two more years of school and get prescription privileges and that would be great. But there are so many unintended consequences for this, one of them being that psychiatrists might end up getting put out of business. That might cause a little bit of a problem in our society. But something that was brought to me was the idea that, okay, those of us with PhDs are already paid less than people with medical degrees. And so this would be an opportunity for insurance companies to get cheaper labor to give out the medication. And the minute I had that conversation with somebody, I was absolutely against it because I know that's what insurance companies do. And absolutely, we'd be spending, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars on more education not to receive the benefit of much of a higher salary. And so, to be honest, I haven't heard this debate come up again recently, and I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means that psychiatrists lobbied against it or it just became an unimportant issue or what happened to it but I haven't heard it in a while. But this is a way that the ugliness of politics ends up making its way into the world of psychology, and I find it super disturbing. So also something else that I used to do, and then COVID kind of put a damper on it, was that I used to go to the Capitol, the state Capitol, and every year lobby for mental health issues. And there was a big group of us that would go, a group of psychologists who would go and lobby. And, you know, it was a different issue every year. And sometimes the issues were really cut and dry and clear. And I would say assembly members and senators would be crazy not to vote with us on whatever the psychological issue was. But the last time I went, there was this bill that was being pushed forward. And it was the idea at the time that psychologists needed more suicide prevention training. And this was meant only for psychologists and nobody else in the world of mental health. And that seemed a little weird, that only psychologists would be identified as the group that needed more suicide prevention training. Now, upon further examination, it turns out that a junior level assembly member had tried to push this through before with everyone in mental health 
all different levels, masters. Uh, I don't know if medical doctors were included in that, but it was social workers, marriage and family therapists, you know, all the people who do the main work with um, suicide prevention. And at the time, what had happened to that is the governor had vetoed it because it didn't make any sense, in his opinion, for the state to be deciding what licensing boards should be deciding. And so it, it died there at the governor's desk. So what happened, as most politicians will do, they're always trying to make a name for themselves and they're always trying to do so with the path of least resistance. So in this case, what this particular assembly member did was he went back to his original bill and crossed out all of the other people who were on the list, the social workers, the marriage family therapists, the counselors, etc and just left the word psychologist, and then pushed the bill through again. Now, what we were doing when we went to the state capitol was we were there to say, psychologists don't need more suicide prevention training than anyone else. In fact, you know, we're highly educated. We assess for suicide all the time, every day, every moment that we are working with clients, it's what we do and we are the most qualified to do so. And so why we were lobbying is because we already have so many continuing education requirements in order to keep our licenses active. And we already have to spend so much time and money on these other requirements that it seems like BS that this thing would be added here. And furthermore, one of the main issues is that people who commit suicide successfully, people who actually kill themselves are not people who are in therapy. They are people who have not sought treatment. And so we showed up at the state capitol with research evidence to support this, that the people who were successfully committing suicide were people who were not getting treatment or not getting proper treatment. And so this was our argument to try to save ourselves from some unnecessary continuing education that we're the experts on. What ended up happening was we got an interesting response from the senators and the assembly members as we went to visit them. They basically said, yes, yes, 100% across the board, we totally agree with what you're saying. You do not need any extra continuing education because you guys are the experts and clearly we can see that you have research to back up this claim that this is not necessary for you. However, what will my constituents think if I vote against a bill saying that mental health professionals, psychologists in particular, should be getting suicide prevention training. 
And it's like, well, okay. So this is really about optics. This is not about what makes sense. And this is sort of how politics and mental health work, is it's not necessarily what makes sense or what's best for people from a mental health standpoint, but it's what it looks like to the public at large. And I understand the point of view of the individual politicians and how their constituents might see them, but this is more BS in the way that politics gets involved in mental health in a way that doesn't make sense. Now, years before this, there was actually a law that had to do with workers' compensation. And what had happened was somehow, and I couldn't begin to tell you why, politicians decided to change the wording of the law so that it no longer said that people who had head injuries due to a workers' compensation claim needed to be seen by neuropsychologists. They got rid of the word neuro and just had psychologists replace it. And what ended up happening as, the result, as a result of that move was that you had all these people getting head injuries on the job um, you know, say a construction worker falls off of a building and hits his head badly and is no longer able to work. Instead of sending that to a neuropsychologist who is a specialist who works with brain injuries, now these people were being sent to any psychologist. So that might be, you know, any specialty. It could be somebody who works with people in recovery from drug addiction, or it could be somebody who specializes in personality disorders. And as a result, you know, people who were making workers' compensation claims who had head injuries were not getting funneled to the proper evaluator, but then they were being set back in time and with money from getting their needs met properly, all because someone decided to make the law easier language-wise. I still don't know the reason why, but I do know it took two years for us to get that law back on track. And in the meantime, you had all these people with head injuries who were not being compensated and who were not being treated properly. So yeah, that's some bullshit with politics right there when it comes to mental health. Now, another thing that happens is that we have this book that both MDs and PhDs and also any master's level clinician in mental health make their diagnoses through this book, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM. All of the mental health diagnoses are contained within this book. Now, one would think that this book is timely and that whatever the mental health disorders of the time are 
are in there and that this book would be re revised every so many years to include anything that we have discovered from a research perspective. And for the most part, that's kind of true. But let me give you an example of how politics showed up in this book. So a long time ago, there was a diagnosis called Asperger's and that was in the book. And there was also a diagnosis called autism, and that was in the book. And these two things were separated in the book. And so many of us knew that one of the main differences between Asperger's and autism was the idea that people with Asperger's didn't have the language delay that we see in children who have autism, that their language development went along fairly normally, while the kids who had autism had real problems as they were developing their language. And so this was sort of why the diagnoses were separated. And also there's sort of a severity factor that separates the two diagnoses, or did at the time, let me say. It's my understanding that today, Asperger's does not exist in the DSM anymore, can't be found. And the reason for that is that it's now all considered autistic spectrum disorder and that everything falls into this category. Now, the reason that that was done is not because we learned anything new in the world of research on mental health, but the reason is that kids who had Asperger's were not able to get funded for any kind of intervention. The schools would not pay to intervene with kids who had Asperger's, and I believe insurance companies would not pay for any kind of treatment for kids with Asperger's. So you can kind of understand where it's coming from. But the problem is, is that kids who have Asperger's are not exactly the same as kids with autism. And you will see people to this day distinguishing these two disorders, but they are not distinguishable any longer in the DSM. And so I feel like it's just a matter of time before people just don't even remember that there was a difference. But this is sort of how the politics of things gets involved and makes everything muddy. And so I would be careful, and I hope that people are more careful before they decide to make sweeping changes about policies or language or our use of labels or what we say politically as groups. I feel like we're just not careful anymore and the, the waters are really getting muddied. And the reason that we use the language that we did and categorize things we did and were represented at one time the way we were is because it worked. And it's just starting to feel like it doesn't 
work anymore. So I would encourage you to ask people questions, to ask questions about moves companies are making, politicians are making, um, organizations are making when it doesn't seem right. That I don't think that people stand up enough anymore and ask the questions that need to be asked because we have to create the world of mental health the way we want that world to look. And we cannot just sit by and allow the waters to get muddied and confuse us because in order for people to heal and to get help, we have to be able to call a spade a spade. And so I hope that you, if you hear this kind of stuff going on, you feel comfortable standing up and asking all the questions and that it makes a difference for you and it makes a difference for the mental health of the people all around you. Thank you for listening and be well.